you'd turn to the Gospel of John, first chapter, verses 29 through 34. And as you do, you can see that we have the elements of communion before us. We will be partaking of communion at the end of the service today. For those of you that are maybe new to church, maybe new to Calvary Chapel, South Bay, maybe you have never uh, seen a communion service, we will be participating uh, at the Lord's table at the end of service. And this is for the body of Christ alone. Uh, It is meaningful for us because we're celebrating the very thing that we see portrayed in our passage before us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're going to celebrate Uh, what Christ did for us on the cross. And so if you're here today and you do not know the Lord, I'm going to even begin by asking you a simple question. Uh, Why not? Why why do you not know the Lord Jesus personally? And I want to give you an opportunity as we come to the end of today's message to invite Christ into your life, that he would be your Savior, your Lord, forgive you of your sin, cleanse you from that sin, and then write your name in the Lamb's book of life because he is the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? Would you join me? We're going to pray for our time in God's words, and then we'll dig into this passage. Father, we are so grateful that you sent Jesus into the world that the world through him might be saved. Lord, what we would be without that sacrifice is lost. And Father, we thank you that you did send Jesus and that he has always been the lamb slain before the foundation of the world just exactly as the book of Revelation declares. And so God, we bless you this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that your word would speak to us now as we study it. We ask these things in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Verse 29, in the next day, so this is day two, of the, the recorded events of John's baptism at the Jordan River. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as you think on that whole sentence, lock it into your mind this morning. Because really, this is the culmination of the gospel. This is ultimately what mattered. This was the problem that Adam put upon his self and upon his family in the garden. This, this is the cry of mankind's heart since day one. What do you do with sin? What do you do with that separation that comes between us and God when we do something that's displeasing to him that he's clearly told us not to do? What happens? And he goes on in verse 30 and says, For this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, because he was before me. You told us this last time. Though John was born chronologically before Jesus, Jesus was before him by a whole bunch all the way into eternity. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. He's saying, I I really don't know a whole lot about Jesus, but there's one thing I do know, that I need to reveal him 
because the salvation is of the Jews first. The Jewish people need to know of Messiah. That I do know. And therefore I came baptizing with water. And it's interesting when you travel to Israel, one of the things that is so often uh, dug up in archaeological excavations when you're trying to determine whether a settlement uh, that you have run across that's now buried below ground and you all of a sudden do excavations and you're digging up an ancient city, one of the things that distinctly marks it as Jewish is the presence of the mikvaot, the ritual bath. Because to the Jewish person, when they became unclean, they needed to be cleansed. They understood very clearly that they had a problem with God and they needed to be cleansed. And interestingly enough, it was by baptism. So there's a direct tie here between what the Jewish mind would have understood as a ritual cleansing and John's baptism. John goes on, speaking of John the Baptist. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Remember, Jesus was God, but he was also 100% human. His flesh, just like your flesh, my flesh, was human flesh, capable of sin, yet though he was capable, he never sinned. And upon the body of Christ came the Holy Spirit specifically for that body of flesh and remained on him. You see, Solomon also had the Spirit upon him, but that was temporary. It came and went. Not so with the life of Jesus. It came and remained. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, the first effect of your salvation is you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, there is a new life. You are indwelt. The old life is beginning to, that transition out, passing away, as Scripture says. The Holy Spirit comes upon all of us who have believed, and in that sense, our salvation is sealed by that work. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so another name. We've already seen Jesus as the Word. We've already seen Jesus as the Light. We've already seen Jesus as the life. We've already seen Jesus as the son. And now this fifth and and really, I think, the most glorious of all of his titles that are here in John's gospel, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, to the Jewish mind and really to us, it's one thing to get right temporarily with God. And so for the Jewish person, as they would celebrate the various feast days, it would culminate there uh, in, in our fall, the great fall feasts, with finally the, the great feast, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. That was when finally 
for the one time in the year. You have an animal that's slaughtered for sin and you have one upon whom the sins of Israel were placed upon them, the scapegoat, that goat was sent off in the wilderness never again to have at least those sins remembered. But within nanoseconds of the high priest praying that prayer, putting his hands on the head of that goat and saying, God forgive us for all of the sins of the nation of Israel, Within two nanoseconds, somebody's already sinned. He's done praying, and somebody's already added to next year's list. You see, the sins in that sense were never completely taken away. They were dealt with temporarily. The penalty was forestalled. God's hand of wrath was averted but they were never dealt with permanently. Those sins still remained. They still had to be dealt with. And so now the new covenant, the picture of exactly what Jesus would do, the Lamb of God who fully, completely takes away by paying the debt itself of the sin by remitting the price that was on your head, by taking your wanted poster off of the post office wall and saying this is taken care of and throwing it away, never more to be remembered. Hallelujah. Amen? You see, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is another one of his beautiful names. But it is the most important name because if your sins are not taken away, then your sins remain And your eternity is secured for a different location other than heaven. And so in this, we really have a Passover picture. You see, at Passover, each family had to have a lamb. Every Jewish person knew that. There was no mystery to them. So you can imagine this crowd that's primarily Jewish is looking at Jesus, and John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't say another one of the successive lambs that we've slaughtered for centuries. He says the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the cosmos. The original language here is very explicit. All sin, every sin, any sin that could ever have been committed in the past is committed today or will be committed in the future. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world takes away all the sin that is placed on his back. Any sin you care to confess, as you confess Christ as Lord, you're saying, Lord, here's my sin. Give me your righteousness. Because you can't produce righteousness. But he is righteousness, and so he gives it to us freely. And those lambs that were slaughtered Constantly, every day, and this is one of those things that I think without an understanding of the Old Testament sacrificial system, it's kind of hard to understand it, but every day at the temple, two lambs were slaughtered automatically, one in the morning, one in the evening. Every single day, an innocent lamb died. And then on top of that, people would bring their own lambs, and those lambs would die. 
And then on top of that, you had all the turtle doves and the other offerings that were brought in. There was death and destruction and consumption every day in God's house. And so this was super meaningful. Behold the Lamb of God. And they were looking at that Passover. You mean he's the Passover Lamb? He's Messiah? which is the very next thing that we're going to get to next time. You see, those lambs that were slaughtered, they were for the family, they were for Israel alone. No other people on earth could even do that. They were privileged people. And John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away not just the sins of Israel and not just temporarily, but all of the sins of anyone who will call upon the name of the Lord. And so he pictures this baptism. You see, the death, the burial, and the resurrection is what that baptism signified. When we baptize someone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God the Father had a plan for your life before you were ever born. Can I say we don't often fulfill that fully? I like to say we have issues. We sin. Those sins need to be dealt with. Either you need to pay for them or you can allow Jesus to pay for them. You can take the free gift, which is life, or you can say, no, I'll take care of my own stuff, thanks. You can either pay for it with your life or you can allow Christ to have paid for it with his. And so this baptism that Jesus undertook at the cross. You see, he took your sins and he buried them in the depths of the sea. And he was raised in new life. Though he was God, he paid for every sin. So your sins are handled. So you can either rest in what he did at the cross or you can try and take care of your own sin beautiful picture here also of the trinity at work because when you see this the father made clear that jesus had to to die and jesus came as a man in order to fulfill what needed to be done and the holy spirit now rests on jesus signifying the father the son the holy spirit all have a hand in your salvation there's some things that we can learn here Jesus as the lamb. It's an allusion to all of the sacrifices that had ever gone on. You know, imagine as people were listening in on all that's going on, there was the daily sacrifice, there was the lambs that were slaughtered throughout the years, a family sacrifice, all of this death and all of this, the bleeding of sheep at the temple. You know, we often sanitize the, the, the temple itself and the, and the court that's outside of it, but there was a bronze laver that pretty much every hour of the day while people were awake, there was an animal that was slaughtered and was being roasted on that bronze laver. Smoke rising up. Animals screaming. Blood being washed off in that basin. It was horrible. And John's saying, Behold, 
the Lamb of God. The one who's going to put an end to all of that. All that death and all that dying. You see, there was a huge question. A monumental question. And probably many of you remember it. You remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. They're on their way to Mount Moriah. Do you remember the question that was asked by Isaac? We have the fire, we have the wood, where's the lamb? John answers that question. Behold. Because what was God's response in Genesis 22? The God, that God will himself provide a lamb. the Lamb of God, Jesus is God's provision to answer that question. That's who Jesus is. You see, no more lambs are going to need to be killed. We, We have to look at Jesus Christ for who he is. He's the only lamb that can take away the sin of the world, by the way. He, he is your Passover. You, you see, as these things would, would bound out from this beginning, if you think about how the, this was being seen, you see in the Garden of Eden what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. An innocent animal died. That's where those cloaks of skin came from. But what were Adam and Eve trying to do? They were trying to hide. They were trying to justify. And God says, oh no. It's going to take blood to cover that sin. And so God himself, all the way to Jesus, God himself provides the sacrifice. You've never been able to take care of your own sin. You never will be able to take care of your own sin. So God took care of your sin for you by putting your sins on the back of his own son and allowing his sin, your sin, to be taken away by his death, not your death. That's why Revelation chapter 1 says, He who loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood, describing Christ. You see, it's a story of love. It's not a story of death anymore. And God reveals these things. He's showing us through John as he's seeing the Lord Jesus. He's seeing little glimpses, and each name provides a, a new piece of information. He first says, this is, this is the word that became flesh. This is the light of the world. This is the, the one true life. This is God's son, God's only son. And God's only son is also the lamb. And John bears witness as he sees this, the spirit descending. John actually sees this. He's not saying, I, I think. He's not saying, I, I guess. He's saying, I, I saw the spirit descend upon him. God was bearing witness of his own son. He says, look, you're going to see this. And by the way, that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11. Part of the coming Messiah was that the Spirit would descend upon him. 
Again, the Jewish people knew that. They were looking for this one sign. And so while John's preaching, imagine what John's doing is he's preaching these messages. And he was a, he was a crazy wild man. I mean, he was hellfire and brimstone. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, he, was a, he was one of those classic, you're like, man, that dude's a little harsh. But his message solid. You need to have your sins taken away. You, you need to be cleansed. And so he says, here's the one that's going to do it. Behold, Jesus. You see, indisputably for you and for me, we've sinned. That's why the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned. Amen? Romans 3.23, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Now, your sin may look different than mine, mine different than yours, ours relationally one to another. Your sin may smell better than my sin. But we're not comparing your sin to my sin. We're comparing our sin to the Holy One of Israel. We're going to fail when that gets done. So the problem is we need to have our sin taken care of. The whole Bible's about that. That's the story of the Bible, isn't it? Adam and Eve, their very best effort, by the way. I'm sure when they sewed together the fig leaves, that they were, you know, very well quaffed in their fig, fig leaves. You know, they, they probably looked like a Gucci fig leaf suit. I don't know. <laughs> but, but they did their best to cover their own sin. They did what they could to cover their own sin. They took great care, I'm sure. And they had their own selves convinced it was good. Our shame is now hidden. Isn't that the story of mankind? You see, we try and hide our shame, we try and hide our sin. We try and cover it up. We play games. We pretend. We put on a happy face. Here's the problem. We're not fooling God. He still sees the sin. That's why in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve get asked the question, Who told you you were naked? You see, God was saying, I knew. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you had a problem with me? It's the story of mankind. That's the story of Abraham. It's the story of Isaac. It's the story of each one of us. It's the story of the Exodus. What was the problem in Exodus? You see, the destroyer was coming and the firstborn was going to die. The only question was, would you put the blood over your life? That's why the book of Leviticus is so clear on this particular issue. 
without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The very thing that Hebrews 9 echoes for us. It's always taken blood to take care of the sin. And in this case, it can be done permanently by believing on the only begotten Son of God. So this final picture that we see of the Lamb is really from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writing there in verse 7, Christ is our Passover. You see, for the Jewish people, when they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintels of their homes, that was still only temporary because every last one of them that did that was still going to die physically at some point in time. You see, God's not just, concern, not just concerned with your today. He's concerned with your forever. He's not just concerned with what happens to you tonight or tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. He's concerned where you're going to spend eternity. In order for that to be a good thing, then you need to be found in Christ, in the only begotten Son of God, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Because he can remove your sin, not just cover it with fig leaves, not just make a sacrifice so that it's not dealt with today, but actually take it away permanently. Amen? That's a very different thing. You you see, we can apologize to God. We, We can do the things necessary You see, what happened in the Old Testament is this great truth of Leviticus 16, that it took the shedding of blood, never got any better than Leviticus 16 until Jesus. Until Jesus, it was never any better. It was always someone innocent had to die. And God sends Jesus into the world so that No one needs to die for their own sin. Christ already paid that price. He shed his blood. I'm going to ask the communion team to come forward and begin to pass out the elements of communion. And as they do, you're going to receive the bread first and then the cup. And again, I would would ask you to please hold both elements and we'll partake of them together. For those of you that are maybe here and you've, you've never heard the gospel message, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he wants to have a personal relationship with you. And that personal relationship that comes to you by believing in his name, that he is in fact God's only Son, that he in fact lived on this earth a sinless life. He was then put to death on Calvary's cross in your place. That that death was sufficient to deal with all of your sin. That he was raised again on the third day, signifying that we have eternal life. If you want that today and you don't have it today, you can have it right now. All you need to do is invite Jesus into your life. Confess that he is Lord. Ask him to write your name 
in the Lamb's Book of Life. So if you need to do that before the elements get to you, simple prayer is all it takes. You've got you to mean it from your heart. For the rest of us, as you receive first the bread, this name stands like a monument. When you travel to Washington, D.C., and for all the crazy things that are going on, there's still some wonderful reminders of some very wonderful lives. You can go to the Washington Memorial or the Lincoln Memorial or Martin Luther King Memorial, any of the war memorials, and you can see the cost that's been paid to make us a great nation. How much infinitely greater was the cost that was paid to bring us into a right relationship with God through the death of Jesus Christ, his own son, for our sin. Our lives are supposed to be a monument to Jesus. Our lives should scream Jesus. That redeeming lamb that touched you, that touched me. He, in fact, entered this world for the express purpose to save us. That's why, as the Apostle Paul reminded us as he shared communion with the church at Corinth, he says twice, repeating the words of Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of the word who became flesh. Do this in remembrance of the I am that I am. God. Do this because Jesus is the Alpha and he's the Omega. Do this because he's the Father of eternity. He's everlasting Father. Do this because he's the Prince of Peace. Do this because he's the wonderful or wonder of a counselor. Do this because he is, in fact, mighty God. Do it because he's Emmanuel, our God who is with us. Do this because he's the the light that shined in the darkness. Do this because he's the only life worthy of living. Do this because he is the Son of God. Do this because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's why we do this. That's why Scripture reminds us there is no name under heaven whereby men must be saved except the name of Jesus. There's no mediator between God and man. There isn't another one. It's just Jesus. That's why he's the name that's above every name. So as we worship the Lord, we're going to sing a song, we're going to offer our praise, and then we're going to pray. We're celebrating the beautiful names of Jesus. We're celebrating the Lamb.